loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, your host, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I want to dedicate the show today to my mother-in-law, May Espinosa, who died just a week and a half ago. We adored each other. I also admired her. She raised eight kids, my wife being the oldest, and while doing so was active in social justice movements, including the farm workers, finished her education, and got a lifetime teaching credential. All this while maintaining her role as family matriarch, holding monthly birthday parties and other events, Christmas, at her home for her children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. She'll be deeply missed, and I just wanted to mention her on air. Today I'm welcoming Brent Green. Brent's a creative director, copywriter, author, professional speaker, and consultant for the baby boomer generation. Author of Marketing to Leading Edge Baby Boomers, Brent has spoken widely at conferences about boomers and the unprecedented reorientation of Western countries to aging populations. In 2010, he published Generation Reinvention, How Boomers Today Are Changing Business, Marketing, Aging, and the Future. He's also published Noble Chaos, a literary novel and coming-of-age story about the Vietnam War era on a Midwestern college campus. He's recently finished writing a biographical novel about a close friend who was a Ph.D. wellness leader, an impetuous daredevil, while bravely fighting five recurrences of cancer entitled Warrior, the Life and Lessons of a Man Who Beat Cancer for 57 Years. Got my wife beat at 10. Brent's newest writing achievement is a self-help book focused on grief and loss and entitled Questions of the Spirit, The Quest for Understanding at a Time of Loss. Welcome, Brent. Thank you, Cheryl. And I would like to add my condolences concerning your mother-in-law. I know that's a very difficult experience so close. And as I mentioned uh, before we began our conversation today, my mother-in-law also passed away last November. So we share that today. Uh, We're in the perfect space to talk together today then, aren't we? Yes, we are. Uh, You know, people sometimes say to me, um, oh, grief must be easier for you or, you know, you got a handle on it. And all I say is, well, not actually, I just know I have to do it, but I still have to do it, (laughs) you know, and I and I notice uh, this is a uh, as every loss is different from from other losses. Um, I was mentioning to you before the show that. Uh, she came into my life mm, 21 years ago, uh, but before that, I never had love and acceptance from a partner's parent. So, um, although I had some very long relationships, um, and so that made her um, especially important to me in that regard, too. So, you know, every person has their importance. Um that, yeah. that really affects grief, doesn't it? Yes, and love and acceptance stand out in what you just said because that is part of the journey of managing grief. 
is to find those deep emotions of love and acceptance as a way of going through the process of a loss that, you know, really words sometimes can't even describe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But let's start at the start in terms of your book. I'd like you to just share with the listeners a bit what what brought you to write that book. Obviously, you have um, a lot of experience with business, let's say, marketing and um, and that sort of thing. But of course, if you're doing that with a boomer in mind, I guess it sort of automatically involves grief to an extent in the sense that, uh, you know, we we encounter more of it as we age. But how did you come to write the book? Well, the, I guess the short version is this. I went through the process of supporting my sister and her husband, Joel, and family as my sister uh, dealt with uh, stage four lung cancer. And uh, she was diagnosed with this disease in 2012. And, you know, there's always this hopeful belief that, you know, with modern medicine, immunotherapies, and uh, genetic drugs and so forth, and treatment by one of the best uh, hospitals in the country, Stanford, she would survive this. She was very much a lover of life. She lived with a lot of gusto, uh, and you just never really would think of her as being, you know, that close to death, but nevertheless, she was, and uh, three years later, she passed away. And fortunately, I was able to be there with my wife, Becky, and um, her uh, daughter and husband and other members of the family and friends. And so while we were going through those final days of her leaving us, she was receiving hospice care in her home, a pastor from Vitas Hospice in California stopped by. He asked us to come with him into the dining room and sit around a table. Obviously, we were deep in the depths of grief and, uh, you know, a strong sense that her passing was imminent. And he very calmly looked at us and said, is there value in suffering? Now, if you stop and think about that for a second, it's a real non sequitur as a question. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? What do you think? <laughs> uh, I mean, an emphatic no at that kind of moment. <laughs> right. But Go it was, away with your meaning thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, th- that would have been the cynical me's way of taking that, uh-huh. or the, the judgmental we, me, or whatever part of me that was not necessarily ready for that kind of question. But he has a very gentle, calming nature that literally filled the room. I mean, I felt the moment I opened the door to the house and invited him in, he he is good at what he does. And he his question wasn't there to add, you know, to evoke a reaction of what are you talking about? Of course we are suffering. Rather for us to think more existentially about what was going on in the bigger picture around us. And then he asked us to answer that question. And each of us around the table uh, 
came up with our own answer to the question. Uh, I, I can't even tell you what my answer was. I was deeply in the depth of grief at the time, but I'm, I'm sure it came from a very uncensored place with tears, and as it did my brother-in-law, Joel, and my niece, Heidi, and so forth. And mm-hmm. um, what we found in that question was insight, the ability to, to reframe what was going on. It was a given that we were suffering. We were experiencing at a very deep level, probably no deeper experience in, in the loss of somebody. And from that, we were still learning something about what it might mean to go on. To go on means at some point you have to reconcile yourself with the idea of suffering. You will suffer, and suffering is part of the human experience. But will there, will you be able to go on? Will there be life after suffering? So I think that's the door that Mark, Mark McGann is his name. I think that's what he opened uh, with that question. And it turned out that Mark, ha- this is his way of, of providing grief counseling, is to ask profound questions that cause you to stop and think and perhaps rethink your values, your experiences, the meaning of the person you have lost or are losing. The questions are really therapeutic. My brother-in-law continued to uh, attend grief sessions because this was in California and I'm not. I'm in Colorado. So he, this was obviously available to him as a part of hospice. Mm-hmm. And so he kept going to Mark's grief counseling sessions and every session involved a different kind of question, or two or three. And all the questions tended to be profound, <laughs> causing us, causing the people to rethink. Joel sent the questions to me. I wasn't participating in the grief sessions. So all of a sudden, I went to my keyboard, as is my nature, and I started looking for answers to those questions based on my own life experiences as well as deeper thinking from other people who have been down this journey and have written books or created amazing insights. And that, in effect, became the book. That's why the book's got the title, Questions of the Spirit. In other words, questions that go to the deepest parts of our spiritual nature and ask us to search, think, and come to greater awareness about our place in the cosmos. It's interesting because it just occurred to me that, uh, in a way, loss is uh, an existential crisis, I guess we could say, yes. that that some people, um, for whatever reason, really engage in then trying to answer those questions. You know, when I saw the first question, is there value in suffering, what I was thinking about was sometimes if the sufferer makes it so. I have known people that have not uh, have not done that, and um, that's very very painful because then you're just stuck in suffering. I suppose. Right. Right. Um, but most people actually do fi- find eventually value or meaning in suffering. Wouldn't you? Th- wouldn't you say? I think that's part of our human spirit, and it's what we honor and recognize in our culture and our society, those that have been confronted with 
deep, deep suffering. And the suffering doesn't necessarily have to be just the death of someone close. It can be, you know, the loss of a major job for that matter. It can be, it could come in many forms. Absolutely. But how they overcome that struggle is what appeals to us as narrative. I mean, I think about the Olympics that recently passed and we think about um, Sean White, for example, who by any definition is on top of the world with gold medals, but he did not succeed at the uh, Russian Olympics and he lived with that for four years and then he came back and he won the gold medal in his sport uh, in the 2018 Olympics and his response to that was, you could call it grief, but it was joy, joyful grief in the sense Mm -hmm. that he, this flood of tears and I mean, he was overcome and this is a pretty stoic phlegmatic individual. Um, so I, I was touched by his expression of emotion to win a gold medal. It wasn't just about another piece of gold. He's already wealthier than anyone needs people. to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> Worth over $40 million and more to come. So it wasn't about the money and it certainly wasn't so much about the medal as it was as overcoming probably what was the grief of the loss of not succeeding in the Russian Olympics, uh, in Sochi, and and I want to, th- I want to imagine that um, it was some kind of process because you know he he went through some other um, trials that he he brought on himself. I guess we could say. I want to think that somehow there was a maturity that he did that not to win the medal, but to to uh, fully commit to what his passion is, maybe. Right. I like to, I like to fantasize that. Yeah, I think that's true. And he did, he, he horribly uh, injured his face uh, last fall, uh, you know, just months before the Olympics. He was still healing from that. And, you know, I, I think he demonstrated something fundamental to who we are not everybody can overcome the challenges of their lives and overcome uh, the deep hole of grief but those that do and move on and find meaning again in life are the ones that we respect and it's the stories we like to um, turn into movies and books and so forth. Well, and tell and uh, radio shows like this one. Right, exactly. Before we before we go off to break, I'd like people to hear a little of the voice of your book. Could you could you um, share the part that's about the blessing of a long life? Uh, because that's that's a part of what we're talking about here too. Since we're right. both boomers, we can talk about that, right? I would be happy to, but I'm not quite sure what you're referring to. Is, is those, that... those of us who received the blessing of a long life, would you like me to read it? Yes, if you don't mind, because I'm not sure where you are. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> those of us who received the blessing of a long life will also need to understand and manage grief and loss many times throughout our lives. Grief will come again and again. 
Loss is a requisite part of the aging process and the human experience. I have been told that each loss of someone or something close to us has different characteristics and subtleties, challenging our fortitude in unprecedented ways, so we're always learning about grief anew when mourning comes to visit once again. It is within our power to let go of internal debates over relationship baggage, our caregiving journey, our effectiveness, our patience, our intelligence, and our selflessness. We can let go of our ego's needs to be exceptional and relevant and right, understanding we can never be perfect within human relationships, but our love can transcend all this. Our love can continue to grow for the person we've lost as we grow to understand ourselves better. Very well read. <laughs> ah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, Appreciate that. It's uh, you know I've I've been doing I'm actually uh, in in the midst of um, going towards writing a book myself right now, and I've been thinking a lot about also the long term impact. Of of grief, which is a, in a way what that passage is talking about. That we we grow and change. And um, uh, my relationship with my mother in the four years since she died has changed radically. Um, and we were not in bad, uh, you know, we were in a good place together when she died. But mm-hmm. it continues to evolve and grow. Our uh, the way that I perceive that relationship. I think that's part of the insights, one of which that I came to through the losses that I have, and that is our love for the person we lost can continue to evolve and grow. To me, that was a novel thought. Yeah. It's time for our break, but let's come back to that, the continuing and growing um, relationships we have. You know, you talk about a lot of people you've lost in your book. That's an example, isn't it? That you reviewed again, you you intersected again with what those people have meant to you and what they do now. And I think that's uh, really fascinating. So, listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America to do all those things people do with social media and to get on my email list. And to find Brent Brent Green, you can go to questionsofthespirit.com and there's links to everything else there. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighouse for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. 
tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Brent Green, the author of Questions of the Spirit. And Brent, before the break, we were talking about um, the evolution of of relationship with, um, you know, with people we've lost um, for a lifetime. Um, I, I fortunately was uh, kind of exposed to that thought before my wife died uh, which was in 1995 and it helped me a lot because it it helped me when I was grieving to remember that I was losing things I was in deep grief and there were some things I was not losing Uh, that was very meaningful to me and it's continued to be true I I have a very remarkably different relationship with her uh, these 20 years later, but um, obviously that that impact of that experience and of my relationship with her is still present in my life for sure. I think that's been true for me also. The process of writing this book obviously took me back into parts of my life where I've lost people, sometimes as much as 50 years ago, that by Remembering them and remembering the relationship I had with them and certainly revisiting the experience of losing them, 
things shape up differently. My thinking changes. I, I evolve. I mm-hmm. think I, you know, I bring a more mature, I hope, sensibility to understanding what it was like to lose my father's mother, uh, Gracie, who I talk about in the book. She mm-hmm. was the, the special, wonderful grandmother that every kid hopes to have. And, you know, that gets tucked away in a warm place in the dark recesses of my memories. But in reexamining her and what she meant to me and truly acknowledging how special she was um, means that I'm in touch with her in a, in a present context in a much different way. And therefore, I grow, I believe. I grow in my understanding of that relationship and the meaning of that loss. And then I feel like at a very spiritual level, I reconnect with her because I bring her back to my, you know, to my heart and to my thoughts. Yes, I've I've uh, I had on the show, and then subsequently have spent time with a man named Francis Weller, uh, who wrote um, uh, the Wild Edge of Sorrow, beautiful book, and um, he's he's very intent on the um, the relationship we've lost to the ancestors. I noticed that one of your questions has to do with uh, with ancestors and uh, what they have to teach us. And um, in his kind of way of looking at things, that's very much alive. Uh, One of the things I like very much that he says is, um, our tears are food for our ancestors. It's a very beautiful idea. But um, that is true. Wow, that's a very brilliant thought. Isn't it? Isn't it? Um, And... I, I hear it in what you're saying about your grandmother that she kind of can continue to hold a place of um, guide or uh, I, I don't know what word right. you might use, but um, of, of helper. Right. I believe that. And, you know, I think that is what we can learn from ancestral generations. And it's it's interesting to think about generations becoming ancestral because the parents of baby boomers, the greatest generation or the World War II generation or the GI generation, whatever label you want to lose, that generation is virtually at the edge of being fully ancestral. Uh, Yes. it, It has dropped in population size dramatically over the last 10 or 15 years. And we can gain in our insights and knowledge from their stories. So in that particular chapter, I describe the coincidence of my father being born in the same two-week span as Ronald Reagan, though he was very politically opposite of Ronald Reagan, but that I had um, perceived a lot of similarities between Ronald Reagan and my father. (laughs) Not when it comes to economics or social programs or whatever, but in the sense of believing in the American dream, believing in um, being honest and and being true to your word. And, you know, core values that um, can be attributed to an entire generation. We think of them as a generation that... uh, tirelessly fought in a war with a lot of sacrifice, and we honor them for that. And their lessons about 
death and dying come to us through, like Saving Private Ryan, for example, the movie mm. uh, by Spielberg. So that's that's what we learn, and um, I, I think I think we are learning machines when it comes to dealing with the essential fact of our mortality and the inevitability of our death. Um, the pastor that I described earlier um, felt that the deepest grief that we can deal with is our own, the grief of our own death, our own loss. That is part of the process of what we go through when we lose people close to us. Yeah. Because one, once again, we, we look in the mirror and we, we at some level know that there are but for the grace of God go I. You know. Any moment, yeah. I, I remember my wife saying at, at one point, not too long before she died, she said, everyone else is losing one person, but I'm losing everybody. Wow, that's that's profound, yeah. She had a way with words. <laughs> she, she, certainly, um, she certainly did, and what a, what a gift of that insight that she gave you. Yes, because it is true, isn't it? I mean, yeah, when I when is. I contemplate my own death, I'm thinking about all the people. I'm not so much thinking about being dead. I'm thinking about all the people that I will not be on this planet with anymore. Absolutely. My children, I know my, my grandchildren, my wife. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I know my my sister uh, struggled with that, knowing that you know her youngest grandson, five or six years old, she won't see him grow up. You know, um, and she knew that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that is that is so. You know, the dying person's grief certainly includes the loss of themselves, so to speak. Right. But also the loss of the people that mean everything to them in their lives. And you know, the the journey doesn't continue, at least in ways that we can understand uh, in, in in this life. But in the ways that we're familiar to, that we that we uh, live in day to day, that's that's what I think is um, is really the loss, the day to day. Right. You know, so we're on the edge of what is what uh, where the suffering lives in grief, maybe. And there's a, a little section of your book about. Um, the, the complication that bring, I guess I'd say it's about the complication that brings to whatever we perceive as God or something, you know, an entity larger than ourselves. Uh, could you share that? Okay. And you're talking about the excerpt that I... Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. So, how common is it for us to feel less than merciful after losing someone we dearly love? When a loved one dies, especially tragically, it is not uncommon to feel vengeful as if abandoned by God. Our reasoning may seem sensible. Quote, if God understood how much I love and need my child, he would not have taken her from us. He would have been merciful and spared her life. Unquote. Those who believe in the benevolence and love of their creator can sometimes react to tragic loss as if they've been cheated or denied. These are among the most challenging moments in life, accepting an enormous loss with merciful feelings, even for God. That is, that is a very difficult 
question for a lot of people I I know um, how uh, how that how tragic losses in particular maybe maybe not so much if your grandmother dies at a hundred or something but um, early losses in particular um, f- feel like an insult even though they're a part of normal life and it's certainly reasonable to have that you know reflex reaction of anger um, I'm thinking that just the day before we have this conversation was the 21st anniversary of my sister's youngest daughter's death, and she died at age 28 in a uh, tragic automobile accident in California. And that, you know, that just did not add up, you know, because she had all kinds of promise. She was beautiful. She was talented. She was smart. Um, she looked like she was going to be able to have a pretty good life ahead of her and then just to have that cut short. You know, I don't think there's any way that that can be reconciled uh, intellectually. At that point, we're called upon to pursue faith, pursue that there are things that we cannot understand and um, they happen for a reason that we cannot understand, but um, we can become okay with the knowledge that, um, you know, we are who we are. We're human beings and we lose people. And, you know, it, it, it kind of takes yes. you to a point of what else can you say? You have to search for answers within a faith, spiritual perspective when you reach that barrier. Well, and I, I guess for myself... Whatever I conceive of as God, and, and I do fit in that boomer profile of um, having tried a lot of different spiritual practices, and, you know, <laughs> you talk uh-huh. about uh, many of us who um, kind of take what le- we like and leave the rest, I guess. Right. Um, I don't conceive of God as um, being in charge of making things come out okay for me. Uh, whatever that in- entity is, I I perceive as more uh, someone to or an, a feeling of support. Um, that no matter what happens in this, maybe sometimes random universe, uh, I am supported, I'm loved. But that's just how I've um, reconciled those two things for myself. Right. And, you know, how do you deal with that? And, and I've asked that question to myself many times, and there are ways, and I discuss that in the book. For example, you can pursue creativity for whatever form that would take for you, whether it be watercolors or poems, and you, you can let your questions and feelings come from come a, from a deep place and a creative place. Another way that it can be addressed is through mercy. In other words, find a, a reason to feel merciful um, mm. as a way of reacting to things that you cannot control. Is The one thing you can control is what you do as a result of a loss or how you feel as a result of a loss. And there's a lot of power based, based on many religious traditions of learning to be merciful, 
because we all have grievances. We all have unfinished business with people. We all have, you know, things that haven't been where we feel like we were not treated well. And to find mercy is to also find a way of accepting a loss that seems um, unfair and illogical, that the loving God would never have let that happen. So, Well, and I guess I would say as a grief counselor, uh, the, the person who most needs our mercy is often ourselves. Correct. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And that. then, of, co- of course, if we can develop that, it tends to start oozing out onto other people. <laughs> right. There's that tendency, isn't there? There is, because uh, you mentioned earlier in the conversation um, your sense that certain people do not deal with their grief, and I experienced that in my own circle of people that have lost my sister. At least one person I'm thinking of has not dealt well with the grief, and you can't really become whole and helpful to other people without dealing with grief, and that's why to listen to a program like this or read a book um, is important because grief takes work to be able to reconcile with it um, and uh, place it in the larger perspective of our lives and then, of course, hopefully move on, but move on whole and healthier and more um, out there, more extroverted, more willing to to give rather than just take and and to, to be fulfilled with more positive emotions. Yes. One of one of my previous guests is writing a book about uh, grief, love, and generosity. And her uh, vantage point is that um, once we dive into our own grief and allow it and, and walk through the worst of it and kind of integrate into a, a forward uh, motion, there's a natural generosity towards other people. I, I found that to be true of many, 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 many people. You want to give something. Right. And I, I talk about generosity a little bit in my book, but also mercy, I think, of is, is a form of generosity. Finally, finally, you give up unhealthy, unfinished business and you forgive a person or you forgive God or you forgive a situation that was no fault of your own, but you were penalized in. So, I mean, yeah, uh, generosity and mercy can be very powerful anecdotes to never being able to feel like you can move on from the deepest, deepest wells of grief. And uh, so that's the kind of work that I've done for me and hopefully helped some of the people around me. uh, And that is to do the work of grieving and to come to terms with it. It's interesting that uh, you are connecting forgiveness with grief, which I I certainly understand that. And I, I have known people, though, who have to forgive themselves for just not being able to forgive somebody. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I, I never think of forgiveness as uh, the right way, and then if you don't, it's the wrong way. There's something There's something valuable in the trying, <laughs> even when it doesn't, um, when, when that's not available, I've noticed. Uh, so I'm, I'm putting in a plug for that, just so people don't get, um, don't turn into their own enemies here. <laughs> 
Well, absolutely. And I, you know, look as a boomer, I look for the art forms that, that reach reach me, and that includes classic rock music. And I think of a song by Don Henley called The Heart of the Matter. And in that song, he is struggling with acceptance, in this case, a girlfriend, ostensibly, that he is trying to forgive and recognize that it didn't work. Uh, you know, you had your life, I had mine, we needed to move on. Uh, but he recognized in that song a very powerful moment arrived where he said that, you know, if I don't forgive, then I'm the one that's going to suffer. I'm going to carry the weight of that. Yes. It's time for our break. Uh, I'm thinking of a quote as we go out, which is, um, uh, la- not forgiving is is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die or something of that sort. Right. <laughs> so, um, listeners, during the break, you can find me at weatheringgrief.com at the Good Grief Host page. To find Brent Green and his book, you can go to questionsofthespirit.com, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every month. Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that'll help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief. 
Brief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Brent Green. We've been talking about his book, The Questions of the Spirit, and uh, it's about ways that we can deepen our conversations about loss uh, and and use, I guess, use our loss. Uh, if it's going, if we're going to have losses, let's make something out of it. I say, um, uh, to really explore deep questions of of being human. And um, we were talking about one of those questions before the break, Brent, forgiveness, which, of course, I've done several shows just specifically on forgiveness in various forms. That's a big, big topic we could Somebody could right. have a for, a forgiveness radio show all by all by itself every week. Right. Um, right. But for you, it sounds as if that's been very pivotal in coming to uh, kind of determine how to live with losses. Would that be fair to say? That'd be fair to say. In fact, in in my book, I describe a childhood uh, experience where. I constantly was being teased and rejected by this one individual, and I decided to have a fantastic Halloween party and decided not to invite him. And, you know, he was a very affable, assertive individual, so every time he saw me, he'd say, Happy Halloween, kind of reminded me that I didn't invite (laughs) him. And finally, uh, I, I actually had some turmoil over it. I probably talked to my parents about it. I invited him to the party, and instead of being such a critic and a teaser, he actually became my biggest ally at the party to create the energy for everybody to have fun. And if you think about it, I'm I'm dealing with an issue that goes back more than 50 years that just kind of hung there. And in effect, I forgave him, and that forgiveness was liberating and a lesson early in my life, you Mm. know. So you were you were released from whatever you might have held on to about that. Right. A- right. Another another example in your book of of something moving very long after was uh, the um, experience of revisiting um, your classmate who had died in the Vietnam War. I thought that was very profound because you and your class kind of went through that together uh, and and um, collective grief is a whole other subject we could spend a lot of time in but um, that seemed very powerful to me that that somehow many of you together could take a different perspective on him and his life and his death well you know it was actually interesting because I'm old enough that I was well into my high school reunions before we had an internet. And, uh, you know, the other reunions, he died like within a year, two years after we graduated from high school in Vietnam. And there was no shared grieving or even any shared anything other than maybe an acknowledgement that he had passed with others who had passed at, at the reunion a very short intermission into the fun and frivolity. In this case, when the internet uh, was in full swing and everybody had email, 
I took a photo of his carving, etching of his name at the Vietnam Wall in Washington, D.C., and I posted that to the entire group with email, and that brought forth collective sharing and grieving Mm. 30 years after it happened. Um, So it, it... it it showed two things. Number one, that shared grieving is very valuable and opportunities to do that should be made, number one. And it can be cathartic as well as provide perspective. And um, so we we gave our classmate Rodney a, a, fair, a proper farewell given the sacrifice that he made in Vietnam. Well, and of course, you have so much more understanding, too, of how that must have impacted everyone in his life, his family, um, you know, people close to him. Uh, it affected all of you, and it and it affected them possibly much more deeply, and they probably still live with it, one would one would assume. I, right. I, I recently watched the, the entire Vietnam series. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was really, really fascinating to revisit that time. At the time, uh, we were all, you know, as a generation in our own places about it. Did we go to war? Did we protest? Did we, you know, a very individual view of the thing, really. And what I found watching that is it, it opened up my view to the entire arc of the thing. Um what it was for us as a generation, which, of course, you talk about a whole bunch right. in your book, generational, um, you know, first we lost all the, we lost Kennedy and, and King and, you know, uh, two Kennedys, and then that war. Uh, that's a real imprint on our generation, I believe. Significant, because generational experiences in the teen and early 20s, teen years and early 20s, form a collective mentality uh, is one way to describe it and that that collective mentality persists through the life course of the generation and that has impact on how we think about death and dying and what we do about it and um, you know so we are rapidly changing the so-called death industries Um, you know creative funerals Cremation is starting to be more popular than traditional burials. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of ways of acknowledging, you know, cer- you know, ceremonies and celebrations of life and so forth. All of that can springboard from a period of time where we were all, those of us old enough, were shocked with early, into our adolescence with the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And then several years after that, Bobby and Martin and then Vietnam War, and so it really does shape a way of thinking, and it tends to lead to common solutions, I guess you could say. Well, it's interesting, because I had never thought about, I have thought long and hard about those early losses and how they impacted me and many other people, and I've thought about uh, kind of uh, this sense of, uh, boomers hashing out things, right? You know, consciousness raising groups when I was 18 and, you know, uh, but you put them together in a way that had meaning to me that, that really we, 
we have collected losses over time that now make us want to face the questions of loss, kind of swear on. Uh, that's this show. That's a lot of other people's work that that um, I know about. And this also refers to an idea that I, I liked a lot in your book, and I'm going to have you read a, a little section from it, about um, how all the generations before have contributed to where we are and the meaning of loss in terms of that. Would you read that section before we get ready to go here? Oh, sure. I'd be glad to. We have lost over 101 billion people through all recorded history. Nevertheless, we have benefited from accumulation and application of their knowledge and technological prowess. Arriving here in our time through many sacrifices and much pain and suffering, their losses. I repeat, our technical proficiencies and modern mastery over Earth's environment can be attributed to an accrual of human losses across 55,000 years. We are who we are now because of loss. We have lost tens of billions of humans who have preceded us, and yet we have gained vast intellectual storehouses filled with their knowledge and expertise, often acquired and amplified through loss. I I really like that idea. It segues into um, an idea about adolescence uh, that that, um, Dan Siegel, who's an interpersonal neurobiologist, (laughs) uh, talks about, uh, which is that um, there must be innovation, right? That statement you just made couldn't be true unless, as human beings, we were innovators. And that's the, the most um, intense time of innovation in a human life is very young. But we're all innovators, aren't we? I believe so. That so. idea that we are, are putting something into the universe that then becomes part of what's possible going forward, I, I'm, re- I'm very intrigued by that. It's a very interesting thought, really. And also, there's another part uh, near that in the book that I just want to mention before we leave, which is how small we are. Um, you go into great detail about how small we are, and I think that's a good place to leave, that we, we feel these things so acutely, but in the end, we're a small part of the entire universe, aren't we? Right. And grasping our losses and the grief that comes with that is about understanding and gaining a more cosmic and spiritual perspective. So that is the journey. And even the greatest minds like uh, Albert Einstein were well aware of a deeper spiritual place that we exist in. We're going to have to leave it there for for today, but that's a good place to end. <laughs> Thanks okay. for being with me. And uh, listeners, you can go to questionsofthespirit.com to find out more. Next week, I'll have John Brooks, who struggled to understand what led his talented and wonderful daughter to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge at 17. What he discovered about attachment and adoption now fuels the work he does to educate teens and their parents. It also led him to write his book, The Girl Behind the Door. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Amen.